Welcome to Grain Talk, a podcast by Grain Farmers of Ontario. I'm Rachel Telford. The Grain Talk podcast can be found on Apple iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Please rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite platform. In this episode of Grain Talk, we will speak with Josh Cowan, the Manager of Research and Innovation here at Grain Farmers of Ontario. This year, our organization is celebrating 10 years, and each month we plan to highlight the success and changes that we have seen in each department over the past decade. We're also doing a similar feature in the Ontario Grain Farmer magazine each month. So to find out more about our 10 years of research, you can read more in the February edition. Later on in the podcast, we will also get an update from Barry Senf, the CEO of Grain Farmers of Ontario. First, a Grain Talk news update. The Atlantic Grains Council, Grain Farmers of Ontario, Quebec Grain Producers, and the Western Canadian Wheat Growers Association are calling on the federal government and all the federal parties to provide relief from the carbon tax burden on grain and oilseed farmers immediately. In a joint press release issued by the four groups this week, the cost of the carbon tax was clearly laid out. The bill from Canada's carbon tax on grain drying alone will be $100 million in 2022. The cumulative indirect inflation of carbon tax on farm costs is estimated to be $14.50 an acre, with that cost more than doubling in 2022. The costs for rail and truck freight for shipping grain and fertilizer, as well as the fertilizer itself, are all subject to the carbon tax, and each one of these suppliers will pass along their carbon tax bill to farmers to pay. Marcus Hurl, Chair of Grain Farmers of Ontario, stated in the press release, The carbon tax on grain drying needs to be eliminated immediately. Grain farmers need the government to reimburse the carbon tax bill for grain drying from 2019. Farmers have no alternative fuel for grain drying and cannot afford to pay it in the face of historically low commodity markets. Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada has announced funding for new projects they say will help Canada's grain industry manage risk and build public trust. The Canada Grains Council will receive more than $430,000 to develop a pilot insurance product for grain exporters to address the risks they face of having their shipments rejected at the border of the importing country. The Grains Council will also receive just under $790,000 to develop a code of practice for farm production of Canadian grains. The government says these new codes are voluntary and will be led by farmers. They're designed to help farmers follow the practices that would be considered sustainable for both market and public trust purposes. The codes are going to cover a range of topics, including fertilizer management, pesticide use, soil management, farm workers, and the protection of wildlife habitat, as well as food safety and work safety. According to the government, the codes will confirm the confidence shared by consumers around the world that Canadian grains are made to the highest quality standards. Grain Farmers of Ontario is hosting the 2020 March Classic on March 24th at RBC Place in London, Ontario. RBC Place is formerly known as the London Convention Centre. This year's event has a great lineup of speakers, including Rona Ambrose, the former leader of the Conservative Party of Canada. And during the evening banquet, we're going to be celebrating Grain Farmers of Ontario's 10th anniversary. You can go to gfo.ca slash marchclassic for the full agenda. And while you're there, make sure you register. Anybody who registers before the end of February will be eligible to win 
a second early bird prize. We already gave one away for January, and anybody who registered during that month is still eligible to win the second prize. Again, go to gfo.ca slash marchclassic for all of the details. And now, here's my conversation with Josh Cowan. Joining us on the podcast is Dr. Josh Cowan, who's the Manager of Research and Innovation here at Grain Farmers of Ontario. Thanks for joining us on the podcast, Josh. Thank you for the opportunity. So the first thing that we wanted to talk about, I guess, is just an explanation of what your role here at Grain Farmers of Ontario entails. Um, Normally, we just say Manager of Research, but officially, it's actually Research and Innovation. I work with the research team, the agronomists within the organization, and also a research committee to try and generate value for Ontario's grain farmers through looking at uh, generating new knowledge of how production systems can be uh, more profitable, through helping with strategic research investments at institutions in the province, and uh, working with various universities, government, and industry to try and improve the research capacity and outcomes. So what would you say is the main goal of the research department? What do you sort of set out to do every year? The goal of the research department is to improve farmers' profitability. That's the bottom line. And so we take care of doing that by establishing and sharing priorities, both provincially and nationally. We invest in research addressing our priorities. We try to pursue co-funding from government and industry sources and coordinating project progress, reporting, that type of thing. And then we help to try and get research results out to farmers to bring value to them. Now, you talked about working with partners and and leveraging our funding. Do you have any uh, numbers in terms of how many dollars we actually put into research here at Green Farmers of Ontario? So every year we put $1.85 million into research, and we're able to leverage that out about three to one through government and industry sources. So our total research value is between seven and eight million dollars in any given year. So what is it about, I guess, investing in research and you know helping farmers understand research that is really of interest to you? How did you end up uh, in this position? It's an interesting path. I'm actually from Nova Scotia originally, and uh, my mom grew up on a dairy farm, so I had a bit of a rough understanding with that farm staying in the family for a bit. And I had an interest in plant diseases and how plants and microbes interact and came to Guelph to do a degree, my PhD here. And then um, after some time at Syngenta and uh, an awareness more of what farming looks like here, there was an opportunity to work at GFO. And I've been here now eight years, really enjoying the opportunity to go and find new things for farmers. Uh, The concept of learning new things that would have an impact on people was appealing to me overall. And we have... um a team like it's not just yourself obviously in the in the research department can you just explain a bit about um, the department and, and who's involved sure so the research team itself is a group of three people myself Matthew Cherwinski who's the research lead he looks after a lot of the priority setting process and the management of the Canadian Field Crop Research Alliance which is a national initiative that we help to lead Paul Barnard is the third person in the department a research coordinator that looks after a lot of the provincial funding projects that we work with researchers on and our annual call for research proposals so that we can identify the best research to fund. And then we also work collaboratively with the agronomists in-house. Currently, Marty Vermey is our senior agronomist, and uh, he's able to translate things more from a farmer perspective and bring, bring that to bear. 
Now, we um, are celebrating 10 years as an organization, and throughout the year in the magazine, we're highlighting each of the different departments and, and taking a look back at um, how the organization has changed in the past 10 years, and we thought it would also be a great opportunity to have those same managers uh, on the podcast to talk a little bit more about uh, the conversation that's in print in the magazine. And so from the standpoint of research, how do you feel that the formation of Grain Farmers of Ontario has impacted our ability as an organization to, to fund and, and enhance grain research? From a research perspective, it's been a great opportunity having all the crops together. We see this a lot in eastern Canada specifically, but when we look nationally, uh, that ability to bring corn, soybean, wheat, barley, and oat into one house lets us look at a cropping system on behalf of a farmer. So not just what's one year's uh, profitability look like, but how can we generate something over a course of time that is is better and so it's allowed us to uh, do crop rotation studies and without having to compile several organizations together. It's given us a lot of efficiencies on that front. It's also given us a stronger voice at a provincial and national level to talk about farmers in general that are growing m- multiple crops on the same piece of land. When you first became the manager of research, um, Prior to that, it was actually the manager of research and market development. So from your perspective, did that change actually improve the way we're able to focus on research on behalf of our farmer members? I think it did. And some of that is uh, the, the collaboration between market development and research still exists quite strongly, but it enabled us to focus more our time in a lot of the well, partnerships and things that have become more and more important as time goes on. We're able to flesh those out better and make sure that we have good relationships at provincial and national levels. So on the note about partnerships, how has that sort of changed and evolved over the past decade? We've been involved in partnerships for a long time, but what we're seeing is that, especially at national levels and even provincially, there's more and more of a a push toward trying to make sure the sector is aligned, that they're engaged in, in front of government at provincial and federal levels. And a lot of research funding programs and things like that also require these sorts of partnerships. And it's been valuable for us as an organization to be able to learn what's going on in different parts of the country or different organizations even within the province. Working with government, that obviously has to be a bit challenging when programs change or you know that you have sort of five years or four years to, to, to work with a certain amount of funding. How do you tackle that challenge of different uh, changes with government priorities as the years go on? It is definitely a challenge that we face with shorter timelines. We have to be creative in a sense of how we go about uh, breaking up projects into manageable pieces that can take us still toward the goal that we want. And we're also back to that partnership concept that's been critical for us. The more we're able to diversify on that, the better we're able to provide some continuity as time moves on. There are a number of, I guess, successes, you can call them, uh, from the research department that we've seen over the past 10 years. And and in the magazine feature, we do highlight some of those, but there's not obviously a lot of room to sort of expand on those ideas and concepts and, and really sort of uh, tout what we've been doing. So why don't we discuss a few of those highlights um, now? Um, the first thing that you noted was weed management. We've talked a lot about uh, herbicide resistance and, and how that's sort of increasing, particularly with certain uh, weeds over the past couple of years. What have have we learned in that area when it comes to weed management? There's been a lot. Weed management and herbicide resistance is a continual battle for farmers, and we're not seeing any new herbicide chemistries being developed by companies. Peter Sikama at the University of Guelph Ridgetown campus has been tracking the spread of resistant weeds throughout the province and spreading awareness of them. 
we've seen several herbicide-resistant weeds arise just within the past 10 years. And projects by researchers like Peter Sikama or Francois Tardif have made significant headway in identifying other effective herbicides that might work, as well as some integrated cropping solutions like specific cover crops or rotational crops that can reduce weed pressure and help reduce emergence of new resistant weeds as well. While the investment has identified effective solutions so far, we're very aware that it's an increasingly difficult challenge to find these controls, and we continue to look for creative solutions. I could also want to mention that it's important for farmers to keep looking at ways to implement herbicide rotation recommendations and cropping system solutions so that we can help to tackle this issue that continues to evolve. If you want to learn some more details about the results on a lot of this weed research, please check out the Pest Manager app that you can download from Android or Apple app stores. Just sort of staying with uh, herbicide resistance for, for right now, uh, have you noticed a change in the way that farmers, I guess, have been able to communicate with researchers um, or crop specialists in terms of helping to identify new problems as they're emerging? I think it's important that when people see something that's different in a field, that they're able to get that information out and be seen by researchers who can help to take it to the next level or by GFO who can bring up that issue. Technology does allow us to do things more in real time. And so I think there's that opportunity to catch things a bit earlier and, uh, and get more information out to people about what's going on. Another thing that uh, we've highlighted is the fact that uh, crop management and the use of inputs is really something that we need to look at in terms of what can farmers be using to sort of increase their yields and profitability um, and, you know, save them some money <laughs> along the way. So I know that we've looked at some intensive trials over the past couple of years. Um, what, have, what have we learned that uh, we can directly say, you know, that's a benefit for our farmers? This work by Dave Hooker in Ridgetown on corn, soybean, and wheat has really been valuable in us looking at these cropping systems moving forward. Thinking of intensive management with corn, things like higher nitrogen rates or seeding rates can provide some worthwhile benefits to farmers. But we have found that it varies a lot by corn hybrid. And we had explored getting some of those data out in the Ontario Corn Committee performance trials for a few years. Now some private companies are continuing to evaluate hybrid-specific responses to these so that they can provide that to growers. Thinking of things like soybean, you've got a crop that's a lot more uh, elastic through a growing season, so it can just adapt to a lot more things. So when you add some inputs to that, a lot of times they don't pay. And so being able to recognize that some of these things are, are not worth adding in is also valuable thinking through that. And then when we look at something like wheat, it's very clear there are variety specific responses to fungicides. And so that's actually formed the backbone for uh, a treatment in the Ontario Cereal Crop Committee performance trials where we've got the varieties grown with a fungicide and without a fungicide so that you can look at whether that fungicide is adding a lot of value or whether there's resistance there already that can allow you to not have to be as concerned about that. Now, you've mentioned a couple of the different committees that we've sort of had some input with. Can you explain what our role is on those committees, the cereal crop committee and the corn committee? Sure. We are involved in those from uh, an advisory capacity, bringing the knowledge that we're aware of. Uh, sometimes we'll add components to those trials. We'll, you know, the concept of adding that fungicide treatment on the cereal crop committee, or we're looking at Dawn assessments in the corn trials in it's really that advisory piece. The seed companies and the rest of the sector work together to try and generate these third-party data so that producers have another source to look at for variety performance. And then another important issue that 
you know, often gets a lot of media attention because it's something that uh, the public really sees visibly when we look at uh, Lake Erie and algae blooms is, is the issue of phosphorus management and reducing runoff that's associated with agriculture, particularly in the southwest, which is part of the Lake Erie watershed. So what um, areas of research have we been looking into and, and collaborating on? The whole issue of phosphorus is a, a challenging one. There's no silver bullet out there. We have been investing in some practical ways to approach this from a cover crop standpoint. And again, that, that can be complicated to set up on a farm, but it can. there are some practical things that you can do. So we've had a lot of projects focusing on how to make cover crops work to improve both your soil carbon dynamics and also to reduce soil erosion. So that helps reduce that phosphorus running off the field that's attached to soil. Uh, you can find a lot of these practical outcomes for cover crop research if you want on the Midwest Cover Crops Council crop selector tool online. And then the other side of things that we've been looking at with phosphorus is working with Mary McRae at the University of Waterloo. And she's been looking more at what's happening to phosphorus on the field and runoff risks. And she's been instrumental in identifying some phosphorus loss risks of tile drains versus overland flow on farms and what time of the season is most important. And also how soil type affects the phosphorus dynamics. Because a lot of the research before had been out of Ohio, which has a di predominantly different soil type than a lot of Ontario. So we were able to find out what Ontario soils are doing, what the risk factors are associated with those, so that we've got better information. Is there a danger of farmers reading things in, in other publications or online and thinking, oh, I can do that on my farm, but again, if it's from Ohio, it might not necessarily uh, you know, apply on their farm or, or could have different results? Sometimes that can be the case for sure. Uh, things like soil type and weather and just the cropping system on a particular farm matters a lot. So when you look at things like nutrient stewardship on a farm, things like the 4R principles are really key in terms of helping a farmer decide how they're going to handle things. So looking at what's the right rate for my farm, the right source, the right place, the right time for applying these nutrients. And I just want to pick up on the fact that you mentioned working with Dr. McRae, who's at the University of Waterloo. Normally, we think about agriculture. We think about Guelph, Ridgetown. Um, what um, has been your experience in terms of working with researchers from other universities that people might not consider of being an agriculture university? Marin's been great. She's been getting into the agriculture side of things in the past several years. And when you start to have increased collaboration across experts in a field, you know, she's working with other people in other institutions as well. They're able to generate even more than a, a single researcher on their own. And she's been able to provide a lot of value to Ontario's farmers in that way. Now, over the past 10 years, we've obviously dealt with several disease outbreaks of different varieties, but most recently that would come to mind would be the dawn and corn crisis that we faced. And there were a lot of resources that Grain Farmers of Ontario put into uh, not just research, but communication and, and government relations efforts around that. So from the research perspective, though, what were some of the strategies that uh, we started looking into or that we have been looking into to, to help our farmer members deal with dawn and corn and then other crop diseases as well? When that epidemic hit and we were starting to realize what it was going to look like in late 2018, we kicked off a whole series of research projects looking at everything from hybrid development through to storage post-harvest to help farmers uh, have the tools, additional tools to handle it if it ever happened in a similar fashion. So we've been working with researchers like Art Chasma, Dave Hooker, and Albert Tenuta in Ridgetown to move this forward. We've got some projects looking at corn hybrid resistance to dawn. We've got things looking at 
evaluating efficacy of fungicides and also sprayer equipment and how that works at providing effective control during the season. We've also put a lot of research effort into reducing that sample variability, sampling variability in dawn levels that farmers were seeing when they went to an elevator. That seemed to be one of the big uh, points of feedback that we were getting from farmers at the time is why am I getting one test showing this at this elevator and taking it somewhere else and getting a different result. That's exactly right. And that was a source of frustration that we wanted to try to narrow in on a little bit more. And and we've had some effective research come out of that with some recommendations basically for the industry that they can start to implement to reduce that variability. And what about um, some of, I guess, the other um, diseases uh, in terms of uh, research that we're focusing on? Has there been, uh, are there any other examples that uh, you can point to as like that Dawn example where we had this problem and now we have some really applicable solutions. When it comes to a lot of the plant diseases, we've had some effective collaborations between Albert Tenuta, the provincial plant pathologist, and the U.S. North Central Soybean Research Program, where they've been able to do trials across several states as well as Ontario as a province and pool those and then generate fact sheets basically that give producers a good idea of what these diseases are and how you're going to control them. A lot of times getting data on products that are just not quite registered in Canada so that we're ready to go when we have the tools available. And when we talk about uh, having tools available for the future, a lot of that comes down as well to the plant itself. And, and that's where we get into breeding and genetics. And um, from the, the position of, of research, um, you know, what, um, What has been our focus over the past 10 years? From the breeding and genetic side of things, it's often considered that the genetic component, the variety component, contributes about 50% to yield gains, and the agronomy piece is the other half. And so when we look at the breeding and genetics piece, we're acutely aware of also the industry involvement in some of these crops. So we're involved in variety development primarily around small cereals where there's there tends to be less investment from private companies we're involved also in the food grade soybean side of things making sure that that value added market for ontario continues to be strong whereas we have the companies take a lot of the lead when it comes to corn hybrids or herbicide tolerant soybean varieties but we, we do engage with those companies as well to find out what is it that we can bring a value that will help advance Ontario's position when it comes to varieties. And again, that speaks to that relationship that we still maintain between research and market development. That's exactly right. Yeah. Now, when we talk about uh, um, breeding and genetics as well, Grain Farmers of Ontario uh, sponsors a professorship in wheat breeding at the University of Guelph, which was held up until last year by Dr. Ali Navabi until he passed away. Um, what has come from that program? Because they were starting to see some successes out of that. And, and sort of what is, what is the future now for that? When Ali took that position back in 2004, he really hit the ground running. He was able to pull together a lot of capacity for that program, and he's had some wheat varieties now enter into the registration tests and come out the other side. And looking forward on this one, he's definitely, it's it's a loss for the research community. It's a loss for um, the wheat breeding group. The university has chosen to rehire for the position. They're actually currently in interviews for the new professor. And... We're really grateful during this transition time of almost a year now that we've had the department really step up and help to support the students and support the research projects that have been underway so that we have been able to continue moving that program forward.
So we talked a lot about what Grain Farmers of Ontario has done over the past 10 years when it comes to research, but obviously, um, you know, research is ongoing and it's something that uh, obviously is going to play a, a big part of the future for Grain Farmers of Ontario. So currently, what are the research priorities that we're looking at? We've got our research priorities split into four broad categories and they tend to be stable over time. So those areas are agronomy and production, weeds, diseases, and insect pests breeding and genetics, and crop utilization and crop quality. That said, within those areas, we also tend to pull out a few research priorities in any given year to try and improve the research focus in those areas. And we look at those from both a short-term and long-term perspective in terms of what we need. And we've centered around three different things for the past couple of years. The first one is integrated management strategies for weeds, diseases, and insect pests. That's a way to address resistance development and other emerging issues in a comprehensive way. So we're not relying on just a single control measure that may or may not continue to be effective long-term. The second one is looking at integrated management strategies for gibberell ear rot in corn to reduce those dawn levels. So we've already talked about some of that research. And then the third one is a, actually a very large research area, and it's trying to quantify the impact of standard field practices on soil health and developing strategies to improve and maintain soil health. That's a, it's a large topic. It's a topic that we're still learning a lot about. It's a, it will continue for quite, quite a long time, but I think it's a big opportunity as well. And as we head into a new growing season for this year, are there some new projects that you're looking forward to seeing getting started? Yeah, so we, we just funded 17 new projects in the start of this year for the 2020 growing season. And they cover the range of looking at new ways to take wheat production to the next level, trying to improve oat management for improved productivity, looking at the nitrogen management in corn piece again as one of those major inputs for corn, improving things like sudden death syndrome management in soybean. It's a disease that continues to spread across the province from the southwest out. And then we're also continuing support for things like the Ontario Zero Crop Committee intensive and non-intensive performance trials for wheat, barley, and oat. And what about the long-term future of research for grain farmers of Ontario? We've talked about the past. We've talked about what we're currently focusing on. What, um, what role do you see grain farmers of Ontario having, and where do you see research going? Back to that partnership concept. That's really critical moving forward. And so partnerships and research collaborations will be the way that we get to that next level. We'll continue to improve, or work at improving the research capacity and the outcomes for grain farmers. When we look at research as that long-term endeavor that you've talked about, I think our main priorities will probably be fairly similar, but what's going to change, I think, is that farming systems are evolving and they will continue to do so. And there's new technologies that have come out that will actually change the way that we're able to approach things like agronomy research. It allows us to ask new questions and answer new questions that we were never able to before. And so we're really excited about what opportunities that could be. On that same front, when at the end of this month, we're actually hosting a researcher forum for researchers in Ontario that work across five key areas that we've identified. We're, we're trying to encourage stronger collaboration among them, trying to get some creative new ideas out into the forefront and better understand the research gap so that we can move that bar forward. On the note about connecting uh, with researchers and connecting them to the farm, we've had some success in recent years as well with um, bringing researchers to the farm. Um, some of whom, we, you know, like some researchers don't come from a farm background, especially those maybe involved in breeding and genetics, for example. Um, 
Can you tell us a bit about that program that you guys had started? Definitely. We've had two years now where we've taken some researchers out to farms. And what we're seeing as there's been turnover and, and just as the, in, the farming industry itself changes, we want to give researchers that perspective of what is happening on farms and what the diversity of farm operations are. So moving forward, we're going to continue that program. And we think that that's going to provide a lot of value in terms of improving the relevance of projects that come through and continues to help with that partnership aspect where we really want to work with these researchers to see what we can do collectively for farmers. Um, And you mentioned before the Pest Manager app as a way that farmers can um, learn more about some research results and how to apply them on their farm. But what other ways can farmer members access information about what we do with research? So at a project description level, we have an online research projects database on our Grain Farmers of Ontario website, so you can find some details there as we update them. The other side of things that we do from a knowledge transfer approach is to work with researchers to find appropriate venues for them to share the results. And so we have several researchers that speak at conferences like the Southwest Ag Conference, or there will be ag publications like our Ontario Grain Farmer magazine or other organizations have similar sorts of things. So the research is able to get out through those sorts of venues. And when we talk about, I guess, uh, connecting also with uh, staff here at Grain Farmers of Ontario, often we have members from the research department out at, say, the farm show uh, when that happens in, in Woodstock or in London. So people can also chat face to face. That's right. Feel free anytime to drop by those booths. And we usually have somebody from research there most days. And we'd be quite happy to talk to you about what we're up to and get your perspectives as well. Well, thanks for taking time to join us on the podcast today, Josh. Thank you very much, Rachel. Joining us for an update on what's been happening here at Grain Farmers of Ontario is CEO Barry Semp. Thanks for joining us, Barry. Thank you, Rachel. The first thing we want to talk about since our last podcast, Grain Farmers of Ontario did announce that they were um, leaving Grain Growers of Canada. Can you walk us through why we made that decision? Well, I'll start off by saying it wasn't an easy decision. Um, You know, it was uh, Grain Farmers of Ontario about two years ago when... uh, the, uh, the, the future of the grain growers was really a question of whether it was going to continue to exist. Uh, grain farmers stepped up and said, you know, we think there's a real need for a national organization. As a provincial organization, it can only do so much on the national scene. So that, uh, that taken into consideration that we needed to, uh, we needed to be involved in, uh, in a grain organization. And we put some money into um, the rejuvenation of that, is what I describe it as. And we went forward with that. And uh, I guess over time, uh, and it hasn't been a long time, that there was just some differences of opinion um, on issues, and not one particular issue. Like some, you know, are suggesting that just because the Grain Growers of Canada didn't have uh, the policy uh, to uh, ask government for a, an ad hoc payment to take into consideration uh, all the trade irritants that are going on. Some of those clearly caused by the federal government, i.e. I. the uh, uh, Huawei um, executive being arrested. Um, that farmers, you know, and, and, and government's got to make decisions for the greater good of the country. I accept that wholeheartedly. But then when you do that, 
as they've done with other commodity organizations, you compensate them accordingly. And while we're seeing some uh, commodities compensated for trade issues, uh, grain farmers are left out to, uh, to bear this one on their own. And that is just not fair. Uh, again, it's as uh, we've talked about over the last number of months that uh, the margins are are uh, being squeezed uh, from a commodity pricing perspective. You add in the growing season that we had in Ontario in 2019. Um, you know, it's it's just not fair to to take into consideration the hurt of others and compensate accordingly. And then say to other another commodity, i.e., grain. Well, you're on your own on this, and uh, and so a lot of you know, or or some may suggest it was because of uh, because of that difference of opinion. But there was other issues that uh, that were at odds, and it didn't seem to be uh, you know it didn't get any better, and um, it seemed that the rest of the membership was uh, was happy with the direction of. Uh, of uh, Grain Growers of Canada, so it it, it really gave only one uh, real way of, of dealing with that. If uh, if everyone else is happy, then uh, I guess it's, uh, you know, we, we need to leave and let that continue on and, uh, and uh, go at it from what we feel, uh, you know, how can we serve our farmer members on the national scene. And serving our farmer members nationally is something that we've been, been doing in other areas as well that we've always sort of, I guess, punched above our weight, yeah, so to absolutely. speak. On another one such issue is the carbon tax. And yes. recently uh, we issued a press release in conjunction with um, the Atlantic Greens Council, the Quebec Grain Producers, and Western Canadian Wheat Growers sort of jointly saying, what can our farmers do? There's no support for them with this carbon tax and just the economic impact of it. So, uh, absolutely. And again, this was a difference of opinion, although grain growers now have recently announced a campaign. But, uh, you know, we've been at this since at least November that uh, we need an exemption for that. It, uh, it should be looked at as an oversight uh, by the federal government that they didn't include... Uh, uh, you know the propane and some, you know the grain drying uh, costs to the other exemptions already in place, and so we were on to this file very quickly. Uh, and it's and the issue is is not only this year and and you know our request to uh, go retroactive and compensate for the costs that have occurred already. It's what's going to happen in the next two and three years. These increases are going to be. Very, like if you consider them um, uh, significant today, uh, they're going to be two and a half times that in, in a couple of years. So, uh, again, as I've mentioned, farmers are under, you know, uh, pressure now as far as margins, and again, a a home a homemade type of increase in costs is going to make our farmers non-competitive to those that don't have these uh, these uh, these costs. So. You know, it's just one additional issue after another, and that it's you know any one of them by itself doesn't cause one to uh, have red ink. But when you couple them together, the ink gets the the red gets pretty pretty uh, strong. Another issue of concern for our farmer members here in Ontario is the rail blockages and the wet Suwetan hereditary chiefs and supporters. They've been blocking the rail lines in protest of a pipeline project. It's having 
a big impact, not just for grain farmers, but in other areas. It's quite the sensitive topic, but from our perspective, we did issue a press release sort of outlining how this is impacting us. Yeah, it is a complicated issue. And uh, apart from the issues that is causing this to happen, you know, and that they have to be resolved somehow, but the rail stoppage is um, one issue that farmers cannot afford to have occur in a long term, from a long term perspective. We just got over the strike uh, before Christmas of uh, CN employees and and the angst that that caused. At that time, it was uh, propane to fuel our grain dryers right in amidst the uh, high volume use. Now it's, you know, uh, markets are tight to begin with, uh, you know, competition, especially out east to the uh, to the European market, given all the trade irritants that are going on, we're, you know, we're in deep, you know, deep competitive situation uh, going into that European market, and those grains got to move out that way. So farmers can't afford yet another situation that uh, causes them to be looked upon as a, a supplier that can't be counted on. And, uh, and that's, this is the situation that arises when we have uh, these issues occur, is that um, we aren't looked out upon as a, uh, as a reliable source of, of product. Thank you for taking the time to give us an update today, Barry. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you for listening to our Grain Talk podcast. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. For more ways to connect with us, including the latest webinar, market report, and our e-newsletter, go to gfo.ca slash grain talk. A special thank you to our guests this week, Josh Cowan and Barry Senth. If you like what you've heard today, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. And remember, five-star reviews help us grow our audience.